0: And with this daf, we complete the seventh perek. We've been talking about blemishes in a bride, and now we're going to turn to blemishes in a husband, which may or may not be grounds for divorce. Ha'ish Shenodu bo-mumin en kofin oto lehosi. Tanakama says that if a man has develops blemishes during the marriage, uh, these are not grounds of forcing him to uh, divorce his wife. It seems to be a double standard here, uh, blemishes in the wife. Uh, he can divorce her with blemishes in him, We, she cannot come and say, hey, I don't like this guy, and force him to divorce. Uh, why is there this double standard? It seems that there's a different a difference in psychology. Uh, men are more particular about blemishes in their wives. Women are more forgiving in, ble- in blemishes in their husbands. Uh, but anyway, that is Tanakama Amar Raban Shimon ben Gamliel, Bamedrim Amorim ketanim, gedolim, However, disagrees and says when is this true that a blemish is not grounds for divorce only if it's a small blemish. But if it's a big blemish, uh, then she has a definite right to come and say, hey, look at this blemish that he has developed after the marriage. I don't want to be married to him. In that case, the court will come and force him to divorce her. That is the Mishnah. The Mishnah, as we have it here, it does say Nodu, and that's the Rav Yehuda's version. But has a different version that says, meaning he already had them from before the marriage. So what is the implication of this difference of wording? If a man does not need to, he's not forced to divorce Divorce his wife if they had blemishes developed after the marriage then all the more so he does not have to uh, divorce her if they had those blemishes before the marriage because if you already had them before the marriage she knows she knew about them and she accepted that I'm okay with marrying him even though he has these blemishes so then for sure she can't come and say I want a divorce Um, uh, uh, but it's also true uh, since they has no do even if they come after the marriage, she still can't come and demand a divorce. But the second version says, uh, that says he, that he we do not force him. She cannot force him to divorce uh, if he had blemishes already because then she knew about them and she accepted them. But according to Chiyah uh, Barav, if they developed after the marriage, then she can come and say, Oh, this is a new development. I never agreed to marry him if he has this blemish. And in that case, we can force him to. Divorce her. Good. Tenan. Amar Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel. Bameda memorim bemumim ketanim gedolim We quote the second part of the Mishnah, the opinion of Rashbagh, that only regarding, that's all true, only regarding uh, small, uh, small uh, blemishes, where it's no, no big deal, then we do not force them. But if it's a large blemish, then uh, she can say, I don't like that. And we'll, we will force him to divorce her. We understand this according to the, the opinion that says that they are new blemishes. Well, that that's why there is, would be a difference between big ones and small ones, since they are new. So you need if they're new and they're big, then she has a legitimate claim. We will force him to divorce her. But if they were already there from the, before the marriage, then what difference? doesn't make whether they're big or small. (laughs) She knew about them, she saw them, and she accepted them. So even if they're big and she was okay with it before the marriage, then she has no right to come and say oh now I want a divorce. And the answer is, Before the marriage, she thought, I can live with a husband that has this problem. Uh, she thought it would be okay. But now that they're actually living together, she says, I'm sorry, I can't handle it. And that is her right. If it's a large blemish, um, then we will in fact force him to divorce her, according to Rashbag. What is the definition of a large blemish? Rashbag himself explained if he has an eye that was blinded, or in a hand that was cut off, or a leg that was permanently broken. Uh, and so he would be um, uh, maybe physically not attractive, maybe not able to uh, do the work that he needs to. Whatever reason, she is allowed to say, uh, this is a large blemish and I'm not willing to live with it. Yochanan, Shimon Ben Gamliel. So Rabbi Yochanan said, the law is like Rashbag, who says that if it's a big blemish, yes, we do, we do um, force him to divorce her, however, Rav Nachman says, "No, we follow the Tanakama that says we do not um, force him." To divorce her. Okay, hold on, we asked. Did the Biochanan really say halachas like Rashbag in this case? Ochanan said something similar. But in a different way, he said, "There's a general rule that we anytime there is a uh, dashbag R- is mentioned in our Mishnah, we follow the Halakha like him, except for these three cases: one regarding a guarantor in Baba Batra, one regarding to a divorce case that happened in Sidon, and the second of two uh, cases that happened that was uh, were mentioned in San Sanhedrin." regarding evidence. That's it. Those are the only exceptions. Otherwise, it always follows him. So why would Biyo Hanan ever say, oh, in this particular case, Halakha is like Rashbak, if we have a general rule that the law is always like Rashbak, except for three cases? Um, so we, in other words, these uh, there were an agreement that uh, Biyo Hanan does think Halakha is like Rashbak in this case, but it doesn't make sense that he would have said both of these statements. And the answer is Amora Eininhuva libad Rebiya Rebiya These are two different Amoraim, and they just disagreed how Rebiya Chanan formulated it. One Amora would mention every time Rabbi Chanan thinks is like Ashpak, he would say is like Ashpak here, 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 and mention all the cases in the positive way. Uh, whereas uh, the other Amora just makes a general rule and says it's always like Ashpak, according to Rebiya except for three. Um, but really, the content is equivalent; just two different ways of saying it. Alright, we continue with the various blemishes of uh that a man has that would be a problem. The following are serious blemishes that we would force the man to divorce his wife if he has one of these. One, mukeh if he has boils. Ubaal polypos, if he has a polyp, literally it's the Greek word, that's the origin of the English word here. A polyp nowadays is just a little growth, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but this seems to be talking about something that's infected and smelly, as the Talmud will explain. Vehamekamet, a gatherer. Uh, one opinion is a gatherer of dung, uh, so that's a smelly job. ne'hoshet, a smelter of copper, uh, that process involves sulfur, which is very smelly. Fabursi, a tanner, uh, tanning process was used, dung and other smelly materials, and so this guy, even when he comes home from the tannery, he always smells, and the wife has a right to say, sorry, this guy is too smelly, I can't live with him. Ben she'hayu ad she'lo ben mishenisu no no'du and in this case in for these serious uh, uh, um, problems, it makes no difference if he was already a tanner or any of these professions before they got married or he uh, joined that profession later. And the reason why it doesn't matter if it's before or after is because, as it be explained, even if he made a condition. Listen, I'm going to have this job, uh, and he, and she agreed to it before the marriage, uh, so it should be okay. Uh, nevertheless, she can say, I thought I could, I could live with it, you know, and you uh, had good qualities, but now that we're actually living together, I can't stand the smell, so I'm sorry, and that is a um, legitimate claim that she can make. That was it b'meir. However, chachamim disagree and say mekabelti al kolcha. She had, if she agreed to it originally before the marriage then she has to stick with it, even against her will. Uh, if he changes jobs after the marriage, then you can say, I don't want you to take that job. But she agreed to it before, so then he does not have to divorce her, except, except for the first item on, on the list, who is a guy afflicted with boils. The reason there is because it will destroy him. Uh, when he, If he has relations, while he has boils, it will actually be very negative for his health, and therefore, for his own good, we force him to divorce her. Okay, and now, even the to Chachamim, they also make an exception in the following case. don be be'bursi uh, you have two brothers who are both tanners and one of them was married to a woman and he died without children. And the brother who is now going to be the Avam is also a tanner. said, she can claim, I was willing to be married to your brother. Although he was a tanner, but he had great qualities and so I lived with it, I tolerated it. But I don't want to be married to you you, uh, because you're a tanner. You don't have those those good qualities that I'm willing to put up with it. And so even according to Chachamim, who say that a woman, if she agreed before the marriage to be married to this tanner, then she is forced to stay, nevertheless, if if she falls to the Yavam, who is a tanner, then she does not have to agree to to stay. All right. Now we're going to explain the terms. So What does this mean? The guy who has a polyp. It's the guy who has bad smell from his nose. But there's a breita that says he has bad breath. Ravaseh uh, basimana uh, thought it was the opposite. That Shemuel's the one that said it means. The polyp means a bad bad breath. And it's the braita that means that it has a smelly nose. Um, and he had a sign to remember that Shemuel is the one that said it's the bad breath because he would say Shemuel never stopped his mouth from reciting this chapter. He was always reciting the chapter, so it's saying a positive praise about Shemuel that he, um, that he knew it so well. But from that, we can remember that Shemuel's the one that says mouth, because his, he never stopped saying it with his mouth. So he's the one that thinks it's bad breath. What is the definition of the gatherer? My a kelavim. He goes around and collects dung of dogs. We could use a Mechametz in the streets of New York City. A me Hold on, we have a beraita that goes against Ravihudas. Rav is only in Amorah. A tanneric beraita says that Mechametz is the same as a tanner. Uh, it makes some sense because the tanner also needed dung, so he might also go around and collect some dung for his profession. So we ask, uh, so this is a challenge to Rav Yehuda. Before we answer the challenge, we um, say, According to this Braita itself, Tikshilan lach How will you, this you you a reciter of the Brayta, explain our Mishnah that says hamikametz Vemesaref nechoshet vhabursi? It lists separately mikametz gatherer and uh, tanner. So if you say that a gatherer is a tanner, why would you include tanner twice? So, we answer that second question first. The Mishnah is not a problem. When it talks about tanner, that's a, that's a large, large scale tanner. When it talks about the gatherer, uh, that's talking about a small scale tanner. So, because he's such a small scale, he probably has to go around himself and gather the ingredients that he needs. So, it, but, so there are two different types of tanners. That's why he has it twice. Back to the first question. How could how could Rav Yudah say that it's a it's a, a dung gatherer and go against the Brayta? And the answer is Tana'ehi. Actually, actually, it's a machloket between two tana'im. The tanya ze soat Here we have two Tanaitic opinions. One says that it's, it is a tanner. That's the one we called before. But there's another Tanaitic opinion that says it's one who gathers dog excrement. And so Raviuda could simply be following that baraita. So he has no problem. And next one, the coppersmith and the tanner. What does he do? This coppersmith, he's a kettlesmith. He fixes kettles, um, and something in that process uh, makes a bad smell. This is the one who, that hews copper from the ground and then it's mixed, mixed with other ty- other minerals, and one of them is sulfur, and so. When in the process of separating them, it's going to smell like sulfur, like rotten eggs. We have a braita now supporting the opinion that says it's the one who hews copper and then has to smelt it to purify it and separate the sulfur from it. Uh, now that we're talking about situations that. Where the court forces the husband to divorce, we're going to talk about yet another one. And Rav says, "Haomed eni zan eni mefanes Yosi vi ten If the husband comes comes and tells his wife, "Listen, I'm not providing you food, and I am not, uh, um, and I will not provide a livelihood for you." That's what he says. It goes against the Ketubah. The Ketubah says he has to provide all those things. So therefore, we force him to divorce and he has to pay the Ketubah. That was Rav's opinion. Azar Rabbi El Azar, Amar So Rabbi El Azar repeated this teaching of Rav in front of Rav's colleague, Shemuel. Amar akhsuh Saare le el azar alche tolosi ichpuhu lazon Shemuel disagreed with this ruling and uh, quite vehemently because he said we should feed or force feed barley to El Azad, uh, barley was like animal food. It's like uh, he's saying we should punish El Azad. He's is just repeating what Rav said, um, but he's uh, punishing the messenger even here. He says you should, I should force force feed you to eat barley because he should not have to divorce his wife and pay the kitubah. Instead, we should force him to. Give food to his wife and sustain her. Uh, so uh, why not just, you know, force him to fulfill his obligation? You know, maybe she wants to be stay married and be fed rather than be thrown out. Uh, so that's what Shmuel says. I think there's a nice play. Uh, um, uh, you should. The the right answer is. That We force him, the husband, to feed her, and he's going to get that point across by, uh, symbolically, he didn't really do this, uh, force feeding El Azar. Okay, so now let's explain, Rav. How come Rav says we should force him to divorce? Because you cannot live in a basket with a snake. They used to keep their snakes in baskets, the snake charmers, and you don't want to live in there with it. With it, Maybe if you're really skilled, you can control the snake and keep away from it for a little while. But eventually, if you're living in the basket with it, it's going to bite you. And the same thing here, even though the court can intervene and come and say, hey, go give her the sandwich right now. And so even if he does it, but this is not, not a long-term solution if it's the kind of guy who just doesn't want to sustain his wife. <inaudible> <inaudible> <made> <inaudible> Rabbi Zera Ashkache, uh, Rabbi Benjamin, Bad Yefet, Iati be Kamar la Misheme, Rabbi Yochanan Amarle le Alda Achzu Saarin le Lazar be be Bavel. Rabbi found Rabbi Benjamin, the son of Yefet, and he was repeating uh, this uh, this statement in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. Uh, when this is when Rabbi Zera went up to Eretz Yisrael, he found that um the student was saying the same law of Rav in the name of Rabbi Ochanan, that we force a man who does not want to provide for his wife to divorce. and Rabbi Zera says, I just came from Baveil, and you won't believe what happened regarding this very law that the, uh, they force-fed El azad barley in Baveil. So, in other words, you know, I know you have a uh, quoting from Rabbi Ochanan, and that I've said it too, but you should know this is a matter of Tremendous controversy. Okay. Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Rav and me Ela Lifsulot. More laws about when we can compel a husband to divorce his wife. So Rav Ase says, we only compel a husband to divorce his wife if... The marriage is unfit. Something wrong with the. It's a prohibited marriage. What's exa- what are examples of a prohibited marriage that we would force him uh, if he's a kohen gadol and he marries an almana? Kohen gadol has to only marry a bitula. They can't get married. They can't stay married. Or regular kohen too. A gerusha or someone who did chalitza. a regular Jew who marries a woman who is a mamzeret or a netina. Um, or but Yisrael a woman who is of good lineage who marries a natin or a mamzer, all these are prohibited marriage and we're gonna the court will force them to divorce but if a man married a woman and they mar- and they lived living together 10 years and still they did not have a child so there the husband has a mitzvah of so really in order to fulfill them is this mitzvah he's gonna have to get a second wife we're assuming that it's uh, she's the one who's not fertile although it could be that he's not fertile um so in that case we do not force him uh to to, to divorce his wife even though it's recommended because he should go and do a pirouette vu why don't we force him well he could technically marry a second wife uh it could be a problem of him and so marrying getting divorced and marrying another may not necessarily help And so, while he should go and find a way to fulfill Vu, but it's not a prohibited marriage like the others on the list, and therefore we do not actually force him. Okay, but Amar Afilu lo kofin All that was in the name of Shemuel. That was one version of Shemuel, um, but that uh, in the name of Rav, from Ravi Huda, But Rav Tachlifa had another version of Shemuel where, according to that, a man has to divorce his wife for all those reasons, prohibited marriage, and also. If they did not have a child for 10 years, yes, the court will force him to divorce. Okay, so Shemuel said one or the other, but there's two traditions in his name. Tenan. Now we can ask a question based on our Mishnah that we force a man to divorce his wife if he has a, a boils or a polyp and so on. We understand this Mishnah according to right, Rav Yudan, the name of Rav Aseh, who gave the, this original list. So now we understand that The list of items in this Mishnah here, our Mishnah Ketubot, are talking about the Rabanan reasons. That a uh, uh, court would force the husband, uh, but not the oraita reasons. So the rabbanan reasons are here, like uh, boils and polypus and the doraita ones were, are not. That's not mentioning are the ones that were mentioned up here, like almanat kohen gadol. Now, if uh, um, because in that version, uh, Shemuel thinks that one does not have to force a man to divorce his wife if they didn't ha- did not have kids for ten years. So that's why it's not listed in our Mishnah. That would be a rabbanan. And if anything, uh, but it's not listed in the Mishnah because it's not a requirement at all. The court does not force him. So that all makes sense. According to the version of Rav Tachlifa, his uh, tradition of Shemuel, where um, the court does force a man to divorce his wife. It's a Rabbanan uh, uh, reason. And so it should be listed in our Mishnah along with the Shechin and the others. So how come it doesn't list it? That's the question. We're going to see a couple of answers. First one: Amar Nachman Lakashia, ha b'mile, ha Nachman explains: There's no problem. This case is not listed with the others because if a man uh, needs to do perur vu so we convince him only with words to divorce his wife. He says, "Listen, you know, don't you want to have children? You need to do this. Um, so we only use words." However, in the items where the guys, uh, uh, the guys um, uh, smelly is born oils big problems so then we force him even with whips and divorce him so we don't want to list the guy the puravu guy within this uh, within this list because um, it's not the same type of convincing. Matkif la Abba. Bidvarim lo yiva abed. Hold on. Rabbi Abba says, you cannot, a servant will not be corrected by words. If you want someone to do something, and you just tell him, and you know, please do this and he doesn't want to do it. He's not going to do the right thing. All right? You need force. And so all these cases, uh, if the court needs to, they should have a right to resort to uh, 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 lashes. And that would come along with possibility of excommunication. They need some more force. Rather, all these cases uh, the court can use whips. The difference is that in the cases of the Mishnah where a person has boils or blemish, Blemish. If she says I'm okay with it, leave him alone. I wanna. Uh, I I don't want. I, I do not force a divorce. So then we listen to her, and so it's it's up to her. But if he did not fulfill then we even if she says leave him alone, now let's stay married. We don't listen to her because he. It's his obligation to go and uh, and have children hold on we have a challenge to this answer remember that the guy with boils even if she's okay to live with him we still force him to divorce because it's bad for his health it's dangerous for him to have relations while he while he has boils, it will damage him. Uh, and so, in, it lists this case. Even though, um, it, even though we force them to divorce even if she agrees to it. So if you have one case that she agrees to and we force him to divorce, we should include also the case of when they have no children. Even if she says, uh, don't force him, I'm okay with it. We still force him to divorce, so it should be it. Should list it. So we give an answer, Hatam. in the case of a guy who has boils, if she says, listen, uh, I'll, I'll I'll live with him with witnesses, I get witnesses, they'll live with us in the house and they'll make sure that we never have relations. The danger to his health is only when they have relations, then the boils can harm him. So she says, listen, I'm willing, I want to stay married and live with them in the house, and we ne- we ne- we'll never have relations, you can have a supervisor here. But in the case where they don't have children, then even if she says, I'm willing to, to live with them without having relations, that doesn't help anything. The right point is he has to go and get another wife so he can have kids. And so we still force them to divorce. So that's the answer. Good. Tanya, Amad Biose, Sachliza ken Ehad Mancheir Shalim. I stream Verbaamukeshechin hen. Veholam am Ruchachamim, Tashmish Kashe la hen. O Bale Ratan, Kashe mikolan. We're going to learn something about some diseases. There was an elder uh, from uh, uh, from Jerusalem, and he said, "There's 24 types of people that are afflicted with boils, different types of boils, um, and in all, every single one of them, if they have relations, it's going to be bad for them." And People who have another disease called Ra'atan um, is even worse. They're harmed even more than all of the others. Ra'atan may be some kind of leprosy, Hansen's disease, whatever it is. Uh, we're going to see some more description about it. Okay, may have. where does one get this disease of Ra'atan? Ditanya, Banim vi. It's from the following, the B'raithah says, If a man uh, lets blood, after one lets blood, they take out a lot of blood and the person is very weak. If he will go and have relations with his wife at that point and have children, so that weakness that he's feeling at that time will be passed on to the children and he'll have weak children. If the both the mother and the father both let blood, and then had relations and had a child, then that kid will be doubly weak and will have this disease of Ra'atan. That's how you get the disease. Okay, this problem is only going to happen if they don't eat anything after the bloodletting. But if they eat something and then they have a child. Then they'll be okay. Like today, when you give blood, we don't give nearly as much blood as they did back then when they did bloodletting. But even now, you gotta sit down, you gotta eat drink something, eat something, uh, in order to get one's strength back. So that's where that time comes from. My <laughs> simane. What are the symptoms? a person's eyes will uh, eyes water, his nose runs, drool comes out of his mouth, and flies rest on him sounds horrible or my asuté, how do you remove this disease uh, now you have to know this disease is understood as some kind of insect that is implanted inside the person's brain that causes a disease that's the so the flies that are all around him somehow one gets in so we got to get this out using doing some brain surgery so this is um you know an early uh, early explanation of how to do brain surgery amada baye ve sumeka. here's what you do you take the following following ingredients some pila and lodana these are uh, two types of grasses a ground shell of a nut a shavings from smoothed hides and this are and the calyx of red date palms if you want to know what these look like, uh here's the artemisia here's the lodana and here's the, here's the uh, artesmia fl- flowers. Uh, so you go and get all these ingredients. And you cook them and mix them together. And you take the guy who has this disease and you put him in a marble house. I guess the idea of marble is that it's cool so, uh, and it's all enclosed so that you won't have uh, infections coming from outside. And even today when we do surgery, we lower the temperature a lot. Um, because that's helpful. Okay. If you don't have a fully marble house, then you take a, take one take him to one that has seven bricks um, thickness walls, thickness of seven um, big bricks and one small bricks one small brick so that it's very well insulated. Uh, And you take this mixture of all those ingredients and you pour uh, 300 cups of it on the person's head. Until his skull is soft and then you can cut open his skull. And then, once you uh, open the skull and expose the brain, so then you'll find the insect in there, but you can't just take it out because it might dig itself in further. So, you have to bring four myrtle leaves and put one uh, under each leg of the insect, and so it will rest on the myrtle leaf. And then you can take tweezers and pry it out. Um, and then you have to burn it. The If you don't burn the insect, it will find its way back in. Alright. Rabbi Yochanan says, Be careful of these flies that are near the person with ratan, they're the ones that carry the disease. It's pretty interesting that they recognize that there are, in fact, diseases that are carried by flying insects. Um, So this is true. Whether they go into the brain or not, I'm not sure, and I don't know who would have survived a brain surgery like this. Uh, But in any case, they did have good advice on keeping away from it as follows would not sit in a place where the wind blew from the direction of a person who had Ra'atan. Rabbi al would not enter into the tent of the person with Ra'atan. Very good advice. They knew about contagious diseases. Um, Rabbi Amem and Rabbi Aser would not even eat from eggs that were in an alleyway of someone who had Ra'atan. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi michrach behu ve'asig bat Unlike all the majority of these rabbis, the bin Levi, said, "Uh, no, I have a different solution. He would go and attach himself to the person with ratan. He'd sit right next to him and study Torah. And he said that the Torah will protect me. Uh, Says the pasuk says, Torah is like a loving deer, a graceful doe. If it gives grace on those who study it, certainly it will protect them from illness. It does even positive. Certainly it will take take away negative. And so he had uh, he had uh, this protection of the Torah. All right, now we're going to tell a really interesting story about Rabbi Yosho ben Levi and his piety and his reward. When it was time for him to die, I'm assuming he did not die from Ra'atan. Otherwise, I don't know, think they would tell the story. But eventually, when he was old and it was time for him to die, uh, so the, uh, mes- the uh, instructions were given to the angel of death. Zil abed le Reute. Go do whatever Rabbi Joshua ben Levi wants. In other words, he has to die, but you could ask him how he would want to die. He's so righteous, he gets to choose. Azal itchazele. So the angel of, the angel of death comes and says, comes to him. Amale, achvi li um, and so uh, the angel of death is like, okay, you know, it's time. What what's your uh, what's your instruction? Rabbi ben Levi says, before I die, I want to see my place in in Gan Eden. I want to see where I'm going to be while I'm alive. Amale he says, okay, right, very well, I will do it. Amale dima but Rabbi diema atat li says, hold on, give me your knife. Right, that you use to kill to kill people because I'm afraid of you on the way. Right? Are you gonna you know jump the gun and kill me on the way? I'm too scared just to look at this, uh at your knife, and so I wanna hold on to it. So angel this is fine, <speaking in> Hale, <Hebrew> when they got to the uh entrance to Gan Eden Ndelyeh <speaking in Hebrew> kamachvele. So uh when they arrived there, a... He lifted the angel of death. Lifted so high up so that he could uh, see uh, into the into the gate, into the window where his place is going to be. Shivad nafah lehahu gisa, but Beoshua jumped, uh, jumped up through the through the entrance and fell into Gan and went into Gan Eden. In other words, he uh, he he tricked the angel of death and was able to go into Gan Eden without dying the angel of death is trying to get him back so he's holding on to the corner of his cloak to pull him back into this world so we can kill him he says I make a vow I am not coming this is a serious vow now he, he even if he wanted to he cannot uh, give in to the angel of death. What are we going to do with this vow? So, HaKadosh uh, Baruch said, if in his life he ever uh, uh, undid a vow, then he has to go back, undo this vow, be killed, and then go back. But, if in his whole life he never undid a vow, that means he doesn't resort to undoing vows, and so he has a right to to stick to his vow, Uh, which is interesting. It means that even though we've spoken a lot uh, previously about undoing vows, you see that it does have a negative connotation that the person makes a vow, then undoes it. So, uh, uh, this kind of serious person, if he makes a vow, he always fulfills it. So, in that merit, he should not have to undo this vow. Amaleh so uh, and it turns out he never made a vow, never made a vow that he had to annul and so he did not have to annul this vow he got to stay in Gan Eden without being killed. Okay, now the angel of death says, "Havli sakinai, give me my knife back. I got go to go go to work. I have other people that need that's time for them to die, so I need my tool." Lava but Rabbi Yoshe Levi says, "No, I'm not giving it to you. He wanted to eradicate death from the world." But a bat call came and said, "Give him his knife back." Um, because he needs it in order to uh, to uh, go and kill other created beings. In other words, death is part of the cycle of the world, and so, sorry, you can get in, you're exceptional, you have great piety, um, as evidenced by the fact that he was not scared of death, he would go and learn Torah, even in, even right next to people of the So he, because of his great righteousness, is able to skip over death. That's but he's an exception. You can't do. You, you, you can't take it away from the whole world. The world needs uh, needs life, and the world needs death. Okay. So next scene. Now Eliyahu. He's the uh, announcer. He says, "Everybody, make way for the son of Levi. It is Rabbi Joshua, ben Levi. Okay, Azal Ashkachel, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. So Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi was a first-generation Amora, and he uh, see he meets up in Gan Eden, uh, Rabbi Shimon ben Bad Yochai, who's a couple of generations older than him." David sat was sitting on thirteen golden stools because of his great stature. So Rabbi Shimon ben uh, Rashpi says, "Are you are you really the son of Levi?" "Lehen, uh, yes, I am." Challenges him. Was there ever a, a rainbow seen in your days? "Lehen," he says, "yes." Imkan haiyata by levi Rashbi says, if so, then you can't be the son of Levi. The point is, if you see a rainbow, the rainbow is a sign that God wanted to destroy the world, but the rainbow is a reminder that he's not going to destroy the world by a flood. And so, if you, if there's, if you saw a rainbow in your day, it means you are not so righteous because you were not able to uh, stop the world from, from almost being destroyed. Uh, if you were really righteous, then you, by your presence in the world, would have saved the world and not not have resorted, not needed to have resort to a rainbow. And so therefore he says, it can't be that you are by levi Ben-Levi, because Ben-Levi, uh, the real Yeshua Ben-Levi, is so righteous that no rainbow would have been seen, would have been present in the world when he was around. Okay, now uh, so that's that that, that conversation ends. But the truth is, the narrator is telling us, In fact, there was no rainbow during the lifetime of the and Levi. Because of his righteousness, God never wanted to destroy the world during his lifetime. But he didn't want to say that, in fact, there was no rainbow because he didn't want to take credit for himself. Uh, yes, oh, there was, no, there was no rainbow in my time. Yeah, because of me, he was humble. And so he, that's why he said yes, which is interesting one is allowed to not tell the full truth in order to remain humble. Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa Shushpine Hava And that's all one story. And now a second story that has a similar theme. Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa was the best best friends with the angel of death. Shushpin's like the best man, right? He, he, he takes care of you on your wedding day. They were good friends. They hung out all the time. I guess they went to see horror movies. I'm not sure what they did together. So when it came time to die, so the instructions to the angel of death was go and do his bidding. Be, let, uh, you kill him however he wants. So the angel of death goes and appears to him, meaning time to go. says, I need 30 more days so that I can review my studies. Apparently he had a review session and he could go over all of his curriculum in 30 days because uh, people say... Praiseworthy is a person who comes here with his learning in his hand. I want to uh, cram. I want to cram before the big test. So Shabke, angel of death, is no problem. You have, you can live for thirty more days. Thirty days are up. Very, very next day, angel of death says, "Okay, now it's time." He says, "Wait, I want to see my place in Gan Eden while I'm still alive. Right, take me to the entrance so I can see." Angel of death said, I'm not going to be tricked again. So first he says, Fine, I'll show you. Then Nebuchadnezzar, they're on the way, says, give me your knife because I'm afraid of you on the way. Maybe you're going to kill me on the way. I want to guarantee, I want your knife. Now the angel of death says, not so fast, I'm not going to be tricked again. What you? I know what you're thinking. You want to escape like your, your colleague did, Navi, right? And he, I didn't have the knife, he couldn't take him. So no, I'm not doing that. Amar sefer Torah, mi'ika Rabbi Chanina argues and says, well, first of all, you're right. That's precisely what I was going to do. I was going to take your knife and then use the opportunity of uh, peeking in to jump in and be there uh, without dying. But now he argues and says, in fact, yes, I want to do that and I'm deserving of it. So he tells angel of death, bring me a Torah scroll, and I challenge you. Can you find in it anything that I did not fulfill? I fulfilled the entire Torah 100%, and therefore I am worthy, like Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, of entering um, uh, with, without dying. <laughs> the angel of death says, the ultimate test. Did you go sit next to people that have the Ra'atan disease and learn Torah? Nebuchadnezzar ben Benavi did that. That's how much he loved Torah and uh, knew it would protect him. You, even though you fulfilled everything, you didn't do that. So, he wasn't able to go into Gan while alive, like Rabbi Yosha ben Levi, but he did have another merit, that when this Rabbi died, there was a pillar of fire that separated him, his body, from everywhere, everyone else. Meaning, he's in a class of his own, No, literally no one can touch him. And we have a tradition that the pillar of fire appears only for the one one person in the generation, the greatest, um, or for two, one uh, for two people, one or two in generation, he is within the top two, so it does show how great he is, even though he had to die, but still he had this. Now you have a problem because there's a pillar of fire and they're trying to do the to, to have the funeral and to bury him, but they can't come close to him. So Kareb be Alexandri. Um Kebot chachamim. So Alexandri comes to comes close to the body and says, uh, makes a prayer, right? I hope this uh, may this a pillar, disappear in honor of the sages, because, you know, look, we're here, so in honor. Lashkach, the pillar of fire, says, no, you're not good enough. Aseh bishvil kibod abicha, do it for the sake of your father. No, it didn't do it. Lashkach. Aseh bishvil kibod asmecha. Uh, they tell, they, they're speaking to the Bichanina, um, about Papa, so wouldn't do it in the name of Papa, but do it for your own sake. We want to show you honor by giving you a proper funeral, and we can't come close. Istalak, so the pillar of fire uh, disappeared. He said, why did the, the, this, um, uh, the, the, why did the pillar of fire appear? So but to show that this is what someone who fulfills every single letter of the Torah deserves, and someone who fulfills uh, all the every letter except for one, doesn't deserve this pillar of fire. So that's the significance of it. Bad Matana la mimor telah it le maakele igre. Now a nice sharp line. Abaye said that, and Ravada Balmatana told Abaye, this pillar of fire appears to show that it will not appear for someone who doesn't put a railing on his roof. That's a basic law. Um, uh, like you, right? This is to exclude you, Abaye. So apparently, Abaye had a roof, and he didn't put a railing around the roof. And so Rav Ada Matana used the opportunity uh, at this at this moment when Abaye says, right? Even someone does everything except one doesn't get a pillar of fire. And Rav Ada says, yeah, you, you, you fulfill everything, but you don't have a railing on your roof, and so that's why you would not be in the company of Rabbi Hanina. Okay, now the narrator interjects and says, "Velohi, hava Like the narrator, maybe it's a later uh, voice, can't believe that Abaye uh, would not put a guardrail on his roof. This is a fundamental Torah law, very important law. So he says, "It's not true. He had a guard. He had a railing on his roof. It's just that." a wind came just that day and blew it off and he didn't get a chance to get the contractor to come and put up a new railing. So, just temporarily, it's true, wasn't there. But even that, you know, you shouldn't even go a short time without these proper safety precautions. Finally, Amar um, Rebbei Chanina, Mipnei ma'en atan be'babel Mipnei shochlin hismi. and after these uh, grand stories, we have some down-to-earth, very basic advice how to avoid this ra'atan how come in Bavaria they don't have this ra'atan disease because they eat beets and they drink beer with his meat in it uh, he's me, some kind of uh, bush um, that has medicinal value. How come there's no people with sarat in Babel? And they drink beer and they bathe in the Euphrates, which probably just the bathing by itself would help tremendously from uh, from getting these diseases by bathing often. Hadran, Allah, Hamadin. Et ta and we complete this wonderful pedik Hazakim Uberuchim.